And we're standing by to talk with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who is in town to tout a number of projects which are being funded with federal money in this area. The number one project, it uh, seems to me, is the SeaTac Airport project, which is getting $16 million from the FAA. And according to the description, this is going to, uh, the idea is to achieve a safer, I'm just reading from the release here, a safer process for everyone who comes through the security checkpoints. They're going to relocate a security checkpoint from the ticketing level down to the lower baggage claim level, which is supposed to provide additional screening capacity and uh, better wait times and uh, energy efficient upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. And this one, I think you've talked about this before, Chris. This is the Reconnecting South Park project, which got uh, $1.6 million to remove or restructure State Route 99, where it cuts through South Park. There was talk of actually removing a stretch of road there. Well, yeah, this money is going to the study of that, which would remove a freight corridor, which uh, truckers use uh, in great number to get to Port of Seattle, especially with Terminal 5 reopening. That's a vital freight traffic line. But, yeah, when it was built, it cut through that that, uh, lower-income neighborhood, certainly in South Park. Uh, I'm not sure if removing it is the right idea, but this money would go towards studying that. Okay, the Transportation Secretary joins us now. Secretary Buttigieg, thank you very much for uh, coming on. Can you tell us more about the uh, the security improvements at uh, SEA, the SeaTac Airport. Yeah, you know, you've got a lot of uh, demand, a lot of traffic, and a lot of growth. Now, economically, that's good news, but that means we've got a lot of infrastructure that needs to keep up, especially in this region. We've got $16 million that, uh, that we're directing towards SeaTac so that they can relocate one of their TSA checkpoints. It's, it's in an upstairs departure area right now. Moving it downstairs is going to be a convenience win, and it's going to help traffic flow better. This is on top of a $26 million grant that we sent to the airport last year for uh, restrooms, amenities, and the passenger experience. You know, a big part of the, the experience of airline passengers is, of course, the conditions of the airport, and we want to make sure we're uh, we're supporting that. It's one of the reasons why we pushed so hard to get this infrastructure built through Congress, and now we're putting those dollars to work. Beyond that, there's a lot of questions, many questions about uh, staffing and all the flight delays. Now, some of it is weather, and the, you can't help that. But uh, there are also uh, reports that the FAA is just flat out understaffed. Is it? Yes. Uh, we need to get more people into air traffic control positions. And that's not a simple thing because uh, training for that job, rightly, is a very uh, thorough and complex process. It can take two or even three years to fully get through qualification, not just to be an air traffic controller in general, but to work a particular airspace or a particular airport, which means even here in 2023, we're still living with some of the impacts of the training that was disrupted in 2020. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, This is part of a much bigger picture. If you look at the airline industry's own data, it would suggest that about 8% of the delay minutes you see in the system have to do with staffing issues at air traffic control. So it's it's a long way from being the number one cause or even the number two cause of of delays and issues, but certainly something that we're concerned about. It's why we're pushing so hard uh, with Congress and Capitol Hill to get more funding. We've got about 1,500 new controllers we're hiring and training this year. We're planning for another 1,800 next year. And we also got to make sure we have the right kind of equipment to uh, get the, the most effective 
use of those controllers as they're on their positions. All of that's part of our plans within the FAA. And then at the same time, we're pushing very hard on the airlines to make sure they have the staffing that they need and that they schedule in a realistic way. And I think that pressure is paying off. You know, last week we had uh, uh, tough, uh, severe weather issues. But as a general pattern, we're at or below 2% most of the time this, this year in terms of cancellation rates, which is a dramatic improvement from last year. And I think it reflects the airlines responding to that pressure, moving in the right direction, but clearly a long way to go. Mr. Secretary, uh, Chris Sullivan, another transportation reporter here. I, I saw you've also got $26 million roughly for EV charging uh, and whatnot. I know that's a, a huge issue for our governor here in this state. What, uh, what will that bring us? Uh, I mean, because to get a level three chargers about – what is it, $40,000 for one port, about 6000 for a level two. Uh, where do you see that money going and it being able to handle what is uh, the coming of the EV wave? Well, what we're doing with the electric charging funding is partnering with the states on the theory that we're not going to know all the places that the chargers ought to go or the, the, the details from Washington. We shouldn't say we have all the answers at headquarters, but we do need to provide more of the funding. So we've laid out the standards that we think the electric vehicle charging networks need to have. They need to be transparent. They need to be user-friendly. They need to be interoperable. So so if, if you got one company's charger, uh, you don't have to worry about whether you have the wrong company's app, you know, any user ought to be able to use all of them. And when we're talking about the national network, you should never go more than 50 miles without coming to a charger. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight, but the president's goal is to have half a million chargers installed in this country by the end of this decade. And as we drive toward that goal, the benefit of it, of course, is that more and more Americans will be able to take advantage of that choice of an electric vehicle. And the more we do that, uh, the more we're going to be able to uh, see a, an alternative to uh, to gas fuel that uh, obviously, in addition to the climate implications, has these economic up, ups and downs. And I'm, uh, we've seen the numbers, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, unusually high gas prices, doing everything we can to keep, as an administration, to keep uh, uh, petroleum prices under control. But the best thing we can do, of course, is to rely on American clean energy to power our American clean vehicles. And and that's the direction we're trying to take the economy with uh, the manufacturing jobs that come with it, as well as the convenience and, of course, the cleaner air. Since I've got you here, uh, and I don't get this chance very often, you talked about unusually high Washington gas prices. Uh, most estimates say uh, 40 to 45 cents of that high gas prices because of our state's brand new carbon taxes on polluters. What are your thoughts uh, on carbon prices and carbon fees that as a way to try to get at the polluters, even though they usually now end up going to the consumer? Well, from the federal level, we respect the, the independence of, of states to, to choose their own policies in, in, in that regard. But uh, what I would say, again, is that our focus is to try to make sure there are good choices and good alternatives. Uh, we see so much work going on in order to uh, get better and more affordable uh, clean energy alternatives. I'm seeing what they're doing uh, with the ferry system even to make it electric. And of course, there's everything that's uh, going on with vehicles. But to really drive the prices down, you need to get to the right level of scale. And that's where we think that we can help. Uh, even as different states pursue different policies, we want to make sure there's a baseline of federal support to make it uh, more accessible, more convenient, and more affordable to access these alternative ways of getting around so that you don't uh, have to be uh, subject to these ups and downs of uh, world oil markets or worry about uh, what's going on in the politics of the Middle East or any of the other things that go into our gas prices.
Just one more thing. Is there any progress into developing a self-healing concrete so there doesn't have to be so many repair projects getting in the way of my commute? You were talking about one of my favorite subjects. I used to be a mayor. The epic confrontation of mayors versus potholes is one of the most important dynamics, I think, in local government. And so pavement durability is a hot topic in in my office. And uh, believe it or not, we we are actually doing some exciting work on this. I can't promise self-healing bridges in the next year or two, but there is extraordinary work in this unsexy field. Uh, of uh, of materials and uh, and pavement that I think in the long run will mean fewer potholes, longer lasting bridges, and I think it deserves uh, federal funding for research. So we're uh, it might not be the biggest part of our budget, but I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm glad you brought it up. That warms my heart. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, thank you, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Good talking with you. It is 724, Cairo News Radio, real-time traffic. You didn't think I could slip that in, but I did. Yeah, I wasn't sure where you were going to yeah. go with that, but yeah. I'm glad you did because yeah. you're right. You've been to put, you know, you could also ask about the uh, the, ivy. The, the automatic ivy for yeah. graffiti removal. But, I mean, let's not get into the minutiae of what's going wrong in Washington no. State. He's got a lot on his plate. He's got let's 50 states to deal with and a few territories. <laughs> let's go uh, to the Beacon Plumbing traffic, Dave. <laughs>